We're in the end of Acts chapter 4, and if you, if you take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 4, we're going we're gonna, to uh, pick up in verse 31, but before, before we get there, I want to kind of give a little background uh, to, to refresh our memories and, for, and to bring those who have not been with us uh, uh, up to speed. And uh, so, so Jesus Christ uh, had died on the cross, and he rose from the, the dead uh, three days later, and he, and he showed himself alive for 40 days. And, uh, and it showed himself to many people. One time it was, over, it was over 500 people at one time. He showed himself alive after his death. By, he showed it by many, the Bible says, many infallible proofs. And the, the resurrection truly is the crowning proof of Christianity. Um, there's a, uh, there's a, a man by the name of Lee Strobel. He was an investigative journalist uh, in Chicago. And he, he worked for, for, I believe, the, the Tribune there. And, uh, and he, was a, he was an atheist. He was a God denier. And, and one day he came home and, and his wife told him that she had become a believer in Jesus Christ. And he's like, what in the world are you thinking? I thought we, I thought we agreed that, this, that we were not going to be a religious household and we're, we're going to be atheists and all of this. And she's like, I, I know that's what we talked about, but, but I, the evidence is just, is just too real. And, and I, I can't help it. I've, I've trusted in Jesus. I am a Christian. And so uh, he, he, began, he began to try to rescue his wife from this mindset. And so he began to, to uh, use his, his investigative journalist skills and to research and, and to, to try to disprove Jesus Christ. And he would go to scholars, and he would fly here and there, going to different places to, to try to, uh, to dig up the evidence and, and to try to, uh, to debunk the evidence that Christians have used to, to prove the deity of Christ. And, and one day he had a conversation with someone, and they said, they said, you know, if it wasn't for the resurrection, we could probably, we could probably explain away everything else. But the resurrection, it, you know, it, it, it's kind of disprovable. Is that the right word? You can't, you can't disprove it. Uh, and and he, he, he began to, to think about that, and he, and he talked with one of his mentors, one of his friends, and he, and, and he said, and he came to the same conclusion. He said, he said, all of this stuff, he said, he said, all my life I've never believed in, in God, and I, I don't want to, but, but the evidence is just, he said, I can't get past the resurrection. And his friend told him, he, he said, well, you know, when it comes down to it, it's all a matter of faith. Either you have to believe, you have to accept by faith that the resurrection happened, especially because you're not seeing evidence to disprove it. And he, he said, or you're going to have to accept by faith that Jesus Christ was a fraud. There's no middle ground. See, there are people that, that want to say that Jesus was a good teacher. There are those that want to say that Jesus was a good prophet. But a, but a prophet and a good teacher, a good prophet and a good teacher would not, would not claim to be God. They would not put themselves on equal, uh, equal uh, terms with God. But Jesus said to the Jews one day, he said, he said, my father worketh hitherto and I work. And by making himself equal with God in that, in that statement, the Jews rose up to kill him. They, they rose up against him. And they, some wanted to stone him because he had equated himself with God. He called himself the Son of Man, which was invoking an Old Testament term, an Old Testament title for Messiah. And, and uh, so a, a good teacher would not, would not claim to be God. I mean, what if I came in today and I said, all right, church, I'm God. You'd be like, I'm out of here and get him out of that pulpit. And you'd have a right to do so. 
because I'm not. I'm not God. But Jesus stood and he proclaimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be Messiah. He claimed to be God in the flesh. If he were just a prophet, he'd be a fraud. He'd be a liar. That's not a good prophet. If he were just a teacher, he would also be a fraud and a liar. Because that's not a good teacher. So Jesus claimed to be God. And he died on the cross. But then he rose again to prove that it's true. Then after he showed himself alive, after, after his passion, as Scripture puts it, with many infallible proofs, one day he met with his disciples on a mountainside, and he, t- he told them, he said, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He said, go ye therefore and teach all nations, make disciples of all nations. And he said, uh, and they asked him, they said, is now when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel, are you going to set up your kingdom now? And he said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. He said, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And they, went and they went and waited in Jerusalem as he told them to do. And they tarried in the upper room and waited for, for the, the, the promise of the Father. And, all, and one day uh, the, the Spirit of God came upon them. Uh, the Bible says there was a sound like a rushing wind. And the Spirit of God came upon them. And, and, uh, and the Bible says that they went out and and began to proclaim the wonderful works of God. And there were people in Jerusalem that had come from all the nations of the earth, from all around the world, had come to Jerusalem to, uh, for the day of, uh, for the Passover, and they stayed for the, the, the uh, celebration of Pentecost, which is 50 days after, the, after Passover. And, and so these people were there, and from all around the world, people are hearing the wonderful works of God proclaimed in their own own languages. What a mighty miracle of God that was. And, and people began to, to uh, wonder, how is it possible for us to, to hear this? And Peter stood up and preached, and on that day, 3,000 people trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. 3,000 people. It started with the, the 120. Uh, there, there, were the, there were the 12, uh, the disciples of Christ. Then that, was, then that was 11 because of Judas, right? And, and then, uh, then there were many others added to that, uh, to that body of believers. Uh, and the Bible says there were 120 that were in the upper room. Then you add to that 3,000 people that got saved on the day of Pentecost. And, and then Peter and John and the other apostles, they're continuing to minister. They're continuing to serve. And the Bible says, daily there was added unto God added to the church those that, w- those that would be saved those every day there were people trusting in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior as the people as the church as the believers in Jesus Christ were going and telling what Jesus had done for them daily people were being born again and then we, then we saw last week how Peter and John had stood and preached, and, 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 uh, and they, they, there was the, the lame man who was healed, and, and people began to wonder, how is this possible and, uh, for him to be healed? He's, he's been laying at this gate by the temple for 40 years, not able to walk, and, and Peter said, it's by the name of Jesus Christ and through faith in his name that this man stands here before you whole. They were persecuted for that. They were thrown in jail, and they were questioned uh, by the, the chief priests and the, and the elders there, uh, Annas and Caiaphas, the high priest, and, and others of, of their family and of the religious order were there to question them and to interrogate them. But we saw last week that opposition cannot stop the gospel, and 5,000 people were born again that day. What a blessing. Praise the Lord. And then we saw how they went back to their people after they were released. They were threatened. They were uh, threatened by the religious leaders. uh, Don't speak in this name. And Peter and John said, we can't help but speak in this name. We can't help but go and tell people what we've heard and what we've seen. 
And so they went back to, uh, to the church, went back to the body of believers, and they began to tell them the wonderful things that God had done and how, how He had used them to preach and to see 5,000 people saved. And, and they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. And the Bible, t- the Bible tells us that they prayed, and they prayed for boldness. Some of them had only been saved for just a few days, but they began to realize that their life had completely changed. They had sided themselves with with one who had been turned over to the Romans by these religious leaders and crucified. They sided with those who really were considered irreligious because they had turned their backs on, uh, on a belief system that they had had for, for years by saying that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. They no longer needed to go to the temple and offer sacrifices. They no longer needed to go uh, and, and, uh, and go, go talk to the priests and, and have the priests offer sacrifices for them. They no longer needed that. They could go to God themselves. They could talk to God uh, individually, and they could, they could have a relationship with Him. And, and uh, each of these individuals made up the body of believers. And we've, we've talked about that here, how, how each of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, we are members one of another. We are parts of the body of, of Christ. We are, we are uh, building blocks in the, this building, the church, the house of God that Jesus Christ has built. And he's continuing to build his church as he's adding to the church those who trust him as their savior, as he's adding to the church those who will, who will yield themselves to be a part of that body of believers. But a strong and healthy church grows and maintains its strength and health as the individual members grow into strong, healthy, spiritually mature believers. See, Crosspoint is, is only going to be as strong and healthy uh, spiritually as you are strong and healthy believers. Crosspoint will only be as mature of, of a, a church as we, the people of Crosspoint, grow into spiritual maturity. Now, I hope that we always have, I hope we always have many, many, many new believers coming along growing in spiritual maturity, but that doesn't mean that we should all remain spiritually immature, right? We should all be growing and striving for spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. The Bible tells us that we, that, that we individually have been changed. And I believe it's important for us, to, for us to make this personal. So many times we think of Christianity and we think of the church and all of that, but we need to make it personal in our lives. The Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. That means what you used to be, you are no longer that person. You, you are no, if, if, you are, if you are a rebel, when you come to Jesus Christ, he changes you so you are no longer a rebel. If you were if you were a liar, you no longer you no longer are a liar. Unless you choose to be a rebel, unless you choose to be a liar, you don't have to be those things. The Bible tells us that Christ has set us free. And, and he, he says in in Romans chapter six, I'm going to turn there because I don't want to I don't want to misquote it. And I'm 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 coming to Acts. Believe me, I'm getting to Acts, and I'm going to try to hurry and get there because because I know those those pews are hard, and I'm sorry about that. Uh, he says Romans chapter six. He says for with, if. He said, "What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound?" God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? 
Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. As we, as we identify with Christ uh, in salvation, and as we identify with him in baptism, we, we are raised to walk in newness of life. We are giving a testimony that, hey, I want to live the Christ life. I want to be a reflection of Jesus Christ to the world. He tells us, he says, know ye not that to whom ye yield your Selves servants to obey his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So he encourages us to yield our members unto God. Verse, verse 17, but God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed the truth. I'm sorry, you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, what he's saying is, before you were born again, the way you yielded yourself to be a servant to sin, the way you yielded yourself to seek after sin and to indulge in the pleasures of sin. Whether, whether it was through immorality, whether it was through fleshly things, whether it was through uh, your rebellion, whether it was through uh, your, uh, your uh, pride or whatever it might have been, he, he, said, he said, as you have yielded yourself as, uh, as servants of uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, he said, he said, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. The Spirit of God is wanting to work in you to help you, help you realize your new identity in Christ, helping you to live that out in your life. For, uh, he says, uh, again, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Well, how can, how can I live that out? Well, I'm glad you asked. Romans 12, he, he tells us, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. See, if, if, we, if, we, say, if we say, well, this is just who I am, then that is, that is leaving God out of the equation. That is saying, God, I know you're powerful enough to save me and give me eternal life, but you're not powerful enough to change me from my old, evil, sinful ways. This is who I am. I am a rebel. I am hard-hearted. I am cold. I am cruel. I am uh, distant from others. I am a, a liar. I am uh, dishonest. I am lustful. I am uh, an, an, an addict. I am a drunk. I am uh, whatever it may be. When you say this is who I am, you're saying, God, you don't have the power to change me. When you, when you say, I, I'm, just, I'm just a loser, I, I'm, I'm a nobody, I'm, I'm just sorry and no good, I'm, I'm just trash. And, hey, what you're saying is, God, you chose the wrong one when you saved me. And you don't have the power to make me something. But I'll tell you, God loves you so much, he gave his only begotten son for you because you are valuable. You are somebody to Jesus. And he saved you. If you're here today and you're not yet a believer, hey, He wants to save you. He wants to give you a new identity in Christ. So by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's only reasonable to surrender our lives to God. After all that He's done for us, but notice it goes on in Romans 12, uh, it says, and be not conformed to this world. As believers, we are not to be pressed into the world's mold. That's not to say, well, the world, the world drinks coffee, so we better not drink coffee. That's just blasphemy right there, right? <laughs> That's, it's not to say, well, the world, the world, uh, uh, 
watches television, so we can't watch television. No, it doesn't mean that. It does mean that you need to be careful about what you watch. You need to be careful about what you're allowing to come in, your, your eye gate and your ear gate, because those things is going into your mind, and it's going to be locked in there, and Satan is going to use that anytime he can for his own purposes and pleasure to try to defeat you. Be careful about what you look at. Psalm 101 says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Hey, if it's wicked, don't look at it. If it's ungodly, don't look at it. Turn away from it. We ought to, we ought to, we ought to love what God loves, and we ought to hate what God hates. The Bible says that Jesus came to, that we might have life, and we might have it more abundantly. This world has an infatuation with death and decay and, and horror and terror. That's, that, is, that is totally against the plan of God. There's nothing godly about that stuff. It, it, is, it is demonic and, and worldly to, to dwell on death. Death was the curse that came on us because of sin. And to dwell on that is it's just wrong. Well, it doesn't affect me. Hey, have you ever checked your attitudes? It does affect you. Many people go through life dealing with depression and dealing with, with uh, this distance in, in their relationships. And, it's, and, and I guarantee you, it is a spiritual battle because you've opened yourself up to demonic influence by this obsession with death. We're new creatures. We've been made new. We don't need to be drawn to death. We need to be rejoicing in life, life everlasting, abundant life. The Bible says if it's pure, if it's honest, if it's holy, true, hey, lovely, if there's any virtue, if there's any praise, think on these things. So present yourself unto God. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's so important for us to, to uh, yield ourselves to God and to let Him, uh, by His Spirit and by His Word, renew our minds and renew our thinking and help us to see who we truly are in Christ, because He has made us a new creation. And while we don't quite see it all yet, He's made something beautiful. He's made something wonderful out of us. And the Bible says, the Bible says that, that He did this so that in the ages to come, He might just show His kindness in His goodness toward us. Just pouring out His blessings on us, being good to us over and over and over. Hey, when somebody does that, does, it loves you that much, you just want to respond to them in love. Jesus Christ has, has, has given us a new, He has created us to be a new, He's created us to, to be someone new in Him. And that identity is to reflect Jesus Christ to the world. To yield to Him, for Him to, to help us remove those old ways, those old ways of thinking, those old likes and, and, and things like that, and to give us a new life, a new identity, to give us new likes and desires and, and, and uh, things to enjoy. Hey, Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that in His presence is fullness of joy, and at His right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Sometimes people think, well, if I, if I begin to live for God, then I'm not going to get to enjoy life. Hey, the life of a believer, uh, the life of a person totally yielded to God is a life full of joy, unspeakable, the Bible says, and full of glory. It's just indescribable the joy that overflows in the heart of a believer that is truly, totally yielded to Him. 
But many times we want to, we want to hold on to uh, into the identity that we have crafted for ourselves or, or that we have just accepted for ourselves that the world or, or our surroundings, somebody else gave us that identity and we, we want to, we, we'll just hold on to that because that's where we find ourselves safe. We think that we're safe there because it's what we're used to. But Jesus says, come to me. In fact, in Mark chapter 8, he says, For whosoever will save his life will lose it, but whosoever will, shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. And what he's, what he's talking about here is, is for believers, those, those of us who we're trying to, we're trying to hold on to our, to our life. The Bible says if, you, if, you, if we hold on to, to this fragile identity that we have, when we stand before God and, and our life is, 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 our works are put on trial, or we're, we're, we're judged according to our works, the Bible says that what we'll have on that day to present to God is wood, hay, and stubble, just like straw. And when that is tried by the judgment of God, it's going, to, it's going to amount to a pile of ashes. But when we, when we yield ourselves to Him, when we lose our life for His sake in the Gospels, then we are laying up treasures in heaven, and when we stand before God, what we'll have on that day is gold, silver, and precious stones that will endure the, the fire and will, and will uh, be uh, purified before God. So if you want to hold on to your fragile identity, that's your, de your decision. But if you want to be who God chose and, and created for you to be, it's a life worth living. And these, these brand new believers here in the book of Acts, they begin to see that this, this is totally, totally a new life. The people from whom we sought acceptance and approval before, they're, they're against us now, those religious leaders. See, Israel, the, the, the society there, they were, the people there, they were so intent on, on seeking the approval of their religious leaders because if their religious leaders approved of them, then surely God approved of them. So they would, so they would, uh, be, they would be victims of the religious oppression. They would be, uh, they would, uh, be cheated in the, in the bazaar of Annas there as they would come uh, to, to uh, buy the animals that, the, that were only the approved animals to be sacrificed there in the temple. As they would exchange their money for money that was going to be acceptable there in the temple and all. And they, they would yield themselves to be cheated so they could get the approval of these religious leaders in hopes of gaining God's approval. But the Bible teaches us that we can't earn God's approval. You can do all the things that religion says to do. And you're going to come up short. Because it's not by works of righteousness which we've done. But according to his mercy that he saves us. It's through the name of Jesus Christ, through faith in his name, that the lame man in Acts chapter 4 was able to walk. And it's through that name that you and I can have eternal life, that we can have a new identity. So these people, they realized that they were now rejected by the ones from whom they sought approval. And, and they, because they realized that Jesus' approval is the, all that they really need. And they began to honor him with their lives. The Bible says that when, they, when the, the apostles came and they told them what had happened, they prayed. And when, verse 31, Acts chapter 4, when they prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. As we read last week, their prayer was, Lord, give us boldness to speak the, and, and to tell of your wonderful works and to speak in the name of thy holy child, Jesus. And, and when they prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled. They were filled with the Spirit of God, and they preached the Word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that, that believed, notice this, were of one heart and of one soul. 
And it's interesting, the word soul here, the Greek word is suke. It's the same Greek word that was, that was translated life there in, in Mark chapter 8. Whosoever will save his life will lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake in the gospel, the same shall save it. Suke, it's where we get our modern term, psyche. It's our identity, who we, who we are, our innermost being, who we really are. They were of one heart and one mind. They realized that their identity is in Jesus Christ. Their purpose for living, their focus of their life, their heart was all on Jesus Christ. And their identity was in Him. No longer was it in a dead religion. No longer was it in, in, uh, in pagan uh, idolatry. No longer was it in, in uh, their, their own feeble works. No longer was it in the approval of man. No longer was it in what they, uh, what they had, had chosen by, uh, by means of a career. Their identity was in Jesus Christ. These people, these 8,000 people were of one heart, one mind. The Bible said... Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. Now, this passage has been used many times by people to try to, to say that, that communism is the biblical way, the Christian way. The difference is communism is driven by the government at the force of a gun. What happened here was people began to live out their identity in Christ. They had the mind of Christ that Philippians tells us, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. What is this mindset? It's a mindset of humility. It's a mindset of, of hey, whatever it is that you need, I'll do my best to, we, we will do what we can to make sure that you have what you need. Your greatest need, the greatest need of mankind was the gospel, salvation. So Jesus came to give that. And if God so loved us so much that he gave, freely gave his son for our salvation, will he not freely also give us everything that we need? That's the heart that we need to have for one another. As Christ is living through us, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Hey, Christ living through us. And these 8,120 plus people, they, they had Christ living in them and living through them. And they began to look around and see other believers in need. And here's what, here's what was going on. It's not, it's not just... Oh, there's some poor people over there. No, th these were people that where folks had come from all around the world. Remember? They'd come from all around the world. They didn't have their careers in Jerusalem. They didn't have their, their bank accounts. They didn't have their, uh, the, the ability to go and, and work a job. Uh, but many of them had believed. And so the believers coming together, they saw people with needs. And yes, some of it was poor people. Some of it were just people that they were away from their stuff, so they needed some assistance in that moment. So the people, the believers saw people with need, and they said, hey, I want to do something about that. And out of a voluntary heart of generosity and love, they began to give. And they gave of themselves. They, nothing that they had were they so, you know, holding on to so tightly. Many times we, we hold tightly to our, to our gadgets and, and our things, and we're like, oh, this is mine. These are expensive. I worked hard for this. You can't have it. But you know what? If somebody truly, if, if, if somebody truly needed this, 
I mean, if they truly needed this, and they didn't have the money, but this was the only way they're going to be able to do their job, and, and so I would, I'd at least loan it to them, right, you know? No, we ought to have a heart of gratitude. We ought to have a heart of generosity, gratitude for what God has done for us. I have, ought to have a heart of generosity. I got the G words mixed up there. I ought to have a, a heart of generosity to give. These, these believers, nothing that they had did they say was their own. You know, through that doorway down in that room down there, there's children. And the children uh, down there with the children are a bunch of toys. And it's probably not very uncommon. Those of you who, who work in the children's ministry there, or those of you who have children, it's not very uncommon to find a child that, uh, that is playing with something and, and another child wants it, and they walk over and, and take it, and they'll say, mine, right? Mine. It's mine. And we're all, we all are born with that selfish, sinful nature. Mine. It's mine, my stuff, you know. It, but it's, it's sad when believers in Jesus Christ who have received the greatest gift ever are selfish. We ought to, ought to have a heart of, of generosity, open to, to give. Hey, if somebody is in need, let's do what we need to do to help them. I appreciate the generosity of the members of Crosspoint, hey, but I'll, I'll tell you this, our generosity, every one of us, our generosity needs to grow. We need to grow in this area. And it's, and it's, not, it's not a generosity to get recognition. It's being generous whether anybody ever notices, whether anybody ever says thank you or not, because we're not giving to get. We're giving because we love, right? And that was their heart. One heart, one soul, and, and they didn't say that what they had was their own. And the Bible, uh, the, the Bible says, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. When the people had, had the right mindset, the, the apostles were able to go, back, go out, and, and because of the change that Jesus had made in the lives of the people, that 8,120 had been so transformed that when the apostles were going out and preaching, and others were going going out and preaching, they were able to do so with great power. And the Bible says, uh, the Bible says, and great grace was upon them all. God gave grace. It's God's unmerited favor. We don't deserve it, but He was good to us anyway. That's what grace is. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Now, this isn't, this isn't uh, the, uh, the Bible giving us a pattern that, that this is what everybody has to do. If you have any possessions, if you own anything, uh, you need to go sell it and bring the money and give it to the church. Lay it here at the pastor's feet, and we'll, we'll dole it out as we see fit. That's not, that's not what this is saying. This is, not, this is not a mandate for everybody to follow. This is just saying this is what they did. Why? Because Jesus Christ had changed their hearts and lives, given them a new identity. Their identity was wrapped up in Him who, who was the giver of the greatest gift of all. And so they were willing to give of themselves even if it cost them possessions, even if it cost them some of the things that they held near and dear to their hearts. I mean, they're not making more land, right? But these people were willing to sell their land so that somebody else could eat, so that somebody else could have clothes and, and be provided for. The Bible says, And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is by being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite of the, of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Here's a guy we're introduced to, Barnabas. The Bible says his name was Joseph, but the apostles nicknamed him Barnabas, encourager, son of consolation. Hey, if, if somebody were to give you a nickname today, what would it be? 
If, if your nickname was, ba- and I know sometimes people are given nicknames because they did something one time and, and they, you know, uh, were silly and so a nickname kind of stuck with them or whatever. When I was a, when I was a, a, a kid, for whatever reason, the nicknames that I, that I got often had to do with animals for whatever reason, I don't know. Um, but my brother, my brother could not say Philip when we were, when we were babies. He's 11 months older than I am. So when, so he called me Pooh. That's me, you know. But as I got older, I, I, I've, I've, never been, I've never been real quick in doing things. I've always been very methodical, and, and you know, uh, and so my dad would call me a turtle. I've always uh, tried, I've always endeavored to be a hard worker, though. And one day, our family was helping my grandfather move out of his house. He was moving into a, into a, a, a uh, an apartment, and and uh, and so I was I was carrying stuff out, and and he thought I was carrying more than a, than an individual should by themselves, and and so he called me an ox. I don't know if that was my stubbornness or my strength, but so I, I was give, so as a as a kid, I was given some nicknames. I'm glad some of those have kind of gone by the wayside. Uh, my nephews and nieces still call me Uncle Pooh, but uh, I guess there's nothing I can do to shake that one, um, even as disgusting as it can be. I always said there, he meant it like Winnie the Pooh, but uh, that, I've never convinced anybody of that. But what are, you, what are your nicknames? If somebody were to give you a nickname, what would it be? I would hope that our nickname would be something like that of Barnabas, encourager. What would be the defi- what would what would be a defining trait in your life? Barnabas, the Bible says, was a Levite, and Levites were not. They didn't receive uh, part of the inheritance of the the land of Israel there. Um, so I'm not sure exactly how he came by this piece of property, but he had some property, the Bible says. He was, he, he was a Levite of the country of Cyprus. He lived in Cyprus, and so maybe his family had purchased some property over there or whatever. But he had this possession, this land, and he sold it, and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, many other people did, no doubt. The Bible says that they were possessors of houses or lands. They sold them. But the Bible names Barnabas. And we're going to see later that, that, that Barnabas was used to be a, an encourager in, to many people. He was an encourager to, to, to Paul. In fact, he was the one who convinced the apostles, he convinced the church to have their hearts open to receiving Paul, who was before known as Saul, Saul of Tarsus, a persecutor of the church. We're going to be talking about him in a few weeks. But Barnabas was the one that encouraged the church to receive him. Barnabas was the one who, when, when uh, John Mark got uh, discouraged and, and went back home from the missionary journeys, when persecution came upon them, uh, and he's the one that when it came time for, for him and Paul to go out on their next missionary journey, uh, Barnabas said, let's take John Mark with us again. And Paul said, no. And Barnabas was so determined that, that somebody needed to encourage this young man, John Mark, and to encourage him and to, and to mentor him in the faith that he parted ways with, with Paul. They went separate ways. He was an encourager. And to be an encouragement to the people there of Jerusalem that had needs that had come from all around the world, uh, Barnabas sold his, his property. And brought, the, uh, and brought it and, and laid it there at the, at the, the apostles' feet, laid the, the money at the apostles' feet. And what a, what a blessing. And see, Barnabas realized that his identity wasn't wrapped up in what he has. The Bible teaches us that this world is not our home. We are citizens of another kingdom. We are simply pilgrims passing through. We're sojourners here in this land. And, and we're, just, we're just renting some space for a little while. Rent is very expensive, but we're renting some space for a little while. 
and we're, and we're doing our best to serve the King of Kings where he has us in this, in this day and time. Realizing that, yeah, we're, we're Americans, but American doesn't define us. We're Christians. We're children of God. That is what defines us. Our identity is wrapped up in Him. See, no doubt because Barnabas owned some land, people might have had this idea that, that he was somebody really important, and, and we want to be his friend. But it didn't mean anything to him. It, as far as it wasn't, it wasn't the most important thing to him. He wanted to honor God and do his part for the people of God. Now, I know time's late. I need to move on. Uh, the, Bible, the Bible goes on and, and tells us about another couple. Acts chapter 5. When the Bible was written, there were not the chapter breaks. So let's just pretend that there were no chapter breaks here. And, and this is just continuing the story. Uh, he, he says, uh, Barnabas, having land sold it, brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it. She knew exactly what was going on. They had conspired together to do this. And brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. So Ananias and Sapphira, they had a possession. They saw, they saw these people selling land and selling houses and possessions and bringing the money and laying it at the feet. And, and they saw Barnabas do that. And, and perhaps there was some, there was some, uh, some uh, accolades, you know, some recognition, some gratitude shown to them and, and whatever it might have been. And Ananias and Sapphira was like, hey, we want to get in on this. But their motivation for getting in on this was not, we want to get in on giving. So we want to get in on some of the recognition. I want, we want people to think that we're somebody and we're spiritual. And so they sold the possession. But the Bible says that they kept back part of it. Now, here's the thing, and we're going to see Peter addresses this in just a minute. They didn't have to, they didn't have to give anything. They didn't have to sell their possession. And, 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 the, and it wasn't wrong to just give part of it. What was wrong was that they acted like they sold and gave it all. They lied. Notice the Bible says, Peter said, to, said Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie? to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Peter said, by saying that you were going to, by saying that you sold your property and you gave the full amount to God, uh, you've lied to God. And the Bible says, and Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. He died. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose and wound him up and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. Here comes Sapphira. She didn't know what had been going on. She didn't know that her husband was dead and buried. She was, you know, curling her hair and putting on her makeup and everything, getting ready for church, and came in three hours later. And, and, uh, and Peter, Peter said, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. He's like, is, is this the amount that you sold the land for? The amount that Ananias brought to, to give? And she said, yeah, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, how is it that you've agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and they shall carry thee out. 
Then she fell down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. These people had, had, had seen recognition, they had seen gratitude or whatever it was, and pride in their hearts, uh, greed in their heart, the desire for, uh, for, uh, for uh, accolades, for recognition was so, so uh, steeped in their heart, They're, they were holding on to that fragile identity that said, that said, I am what I have, I am what I do, I am what I own. I am what other people think of me. And it cost them. Because they were willing, holding on so tightly to that fragile identity, they, were, they held on to it so tightly that they lied to God. And it's sad, when, it's sad when believers who have been given so much by Jesus Christ, when, when uh, we have a new identity in Christ, we want to hold on to our old identity so tightly that whether it's, you know, we want people to think we're spiritual or we want people to think that we're a great teacher or we're a, a wonderful Christian or, or we're so generous or we're so good or so great. And, and we do these things and we, it's so awful when we cling so tightly to a fragile identity that we don't live in the freedom of who God made us to be. And those fragile identities, they tend to, they tend to separate us from, from uh, believers and uh, may, maybe temporarily we try, to, we try to draw them in or whatever by the, what we're doing, but, but we realize it's so weak and shallow. And when we're not satisfied, it's your fault. You're the reason that there's a problem, when all the while it is the problem in our own hearts because we have sought after approval and recognition for that fragile identity. The world has, and society has provided for us uh, an identity, maybe our family, uh, there's basically three identities that, that we can choose in life. One has been, has been defined as a traditional identity, and that is who other people say we are. I was, I was raised in church. I was raised in a preacher's home. I did all the things that I was supposed to do, and I tried to live up to that to get the approval of the church leaders, of my parents, of my brother, who is a pastor, of my pastor, other people, I, I wanted their approval. It wasn't until I realized how damaging it is to seek after man's approval that Jesus freed me from that. And hey, he's still, he's still helping to, to, to strip away that old identity in us. I am not defined by who other people say I am. The opposite of that is you don't tell me who I am. I decide who I am. I define who I am. And that is, that's been called a modern identity. We reject what tradition has told us. We, we reject what religion might tell us. We reject what maybe even our parents tell us. And I'm going to define who I am. And we see this going on all around us. The world has, has so, so, so fostered this rebellious spirit that, that it's, it's gotten to where if, if, you sign, if you sign up for a new account with Facebook, you've got like, was it 50-something different genders to choose from? And, and we wonder why people are so confused. Modern identity says, I choose, I define me. But when I define me, you have to accept me. 
and you have to affirm me. And so modern identity not only, not only implements many of the tactics that traditional identity does, but it's just as damaging. But Jesus gives us an identity. It's a gospel identity. It's a new life in Christ. And Christ sets us free from tradition. Christ sets us free from the modern. We don't have to do things to please God. Jesus has pleased God for us. And we live our lives to honor what he has done. We strive for holiness, not because we're afraid God will get mad at us, but we strive for holiness because we love God. We are, not, we, are, we are not bound in these straps and, and, and controlled like, like a, a marionette or whatever uh, by tradition. We're, and God's, God is not, is not the puppet master making us do. Hey, we're set free and we say, hey, God, I'm yours. I want to serve you. I give myself to you and I want to live for you. Hey, and I'll tell you, I was bound in a traditional identity. Many have been bound in a modern identity, but there's, no, there's nothing like the freedom of living out who Jesus created you to be. Ananias and Sapphira could not get past, uh, could, could not get past their desire to be, to be defined by what they did. They couldn't get past that, that tradition, ide traditional identity, if you want to call it that. They, they couldn't get past that. And so they, they wanted to impress people. They were seeking for approval so much that they lied to God, and it cost them their life. Barnabas, on the other hand, he, he saw what Jesus had done for him, and he wanted, to, he wanted to live his life to be an encourager of the brethren. He wanted to do whatever. Hey, if he had something and somebody else needed it, it was theirs. And that was the spirit of the people in, in the early church. They were living out their identity. Hey, here in L.A., L.A. is full of people who are out here because they want to be somebody. Right? And they're always trying to make their mark, and, they, and, and the, their dream is to, is to have a star on the walk of fame or whatever it might be, to have people to know their name. And so they're bound either by tradition or modern. And when they're not fulfilled, they turn to substance or maybe depression, or any other thing. But Jesus said, I came that you might have life. You might have it more abundantly. The Bible says, great fear came upon all the church, and as many as heard these things, and by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, and of the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them, and the believers were the more added to the Lord. Notice this, multitudes, both of men and women. Before it was the Lord added 3,000, then there were 5,000 saved. Now, multitudes. Why did that happen? Because the church released themselves from modern identity. They released themselves from traditional identity. And they said, Jesus, we want to reflect you. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. That was their heart. That was their prayer. They wanted to glorify God and to serve one another in love. God did a work. And this isn't just a story of something that, that happened a couple of thousand years ago. This is the testimony of something that can happen in 2021 when we, the people of God, realize who Christ has created us to be, and we free ourselves from tradition, from all the rules and regulations.
to live free in Christ. The Bible says the letter killeth, but the Spirit maketh alive. And we free ourselves from the rebellion of the modern identity that is just another means of, of persecution, self-persecution. And we yield ourselves to Jesus Christ to be who He created us to be. And first and foremost, He created us to be His. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, He gave Himself for you so He could give you a new life free from guilt, free from all of the rules and the heavy load of religion, free of the, of the bondage of the worldly mindsets. He died to set you free. And it's available to you if you'll just come to Him in faith. Just believe Him. Receive Him as your Lord and Savior. And if you are saved, Jesus wants to, you to live free in Him. Maybe today you recognize that you've, that you've yielded yourself either to the, to the bondage of the traditional mindset or, or the uh, bondage of the modern mindset, and you need to be free in Christ. He's already made you free. You just need to choose to live free. Confess, confess yielding yourself to, as servants to those sins and yield yourself unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your spirit and your your members as instruments of righteousness unto holiness and let's live for God the way he has created us and freed us to do so amen